Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome, everybody, on a Thursday in the booth here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, brought to you by CH Insurance, CNYRealtor.com, and Burdick Ford. As you all know by now, Tiger Woods is in the Hero World Challenge. Is that that household bit of information? Everybody have their finger on the pulse of off-season meaningless golf that's not on the actual calendar? I mean, I like I like golf as much as the next guy. And I love Tiger Woods. Hope he does great. Hope he comes back. Is that just because Max uh, says he's been talking about it or because in general we should know that that's something that's happening? Uh, I think Max is infatuated with the whole Tiger Woods No, it sounds like it. I mean, he's following the Hero World Challenge on his phone. (laughs) There's an app for that. It's a a bogus tournament, as uh, Trey Wingo said on uh, ESPN yesterday morning, I think. It's a glorified member guest where Tiger just invites a lot of these pros to the Bahamas. I think that course is not terribly far. Of course, Bahamas is only so big uh, from Atlantis, where we were a couple years ago for basketball. And so I'm I'm going to duck back, and I hope, Max, we can get him back here for more updates because I, I want to know. But uh, I wouldn't say that that is right there on the front burner for your typical Central New York sports fan. It is third story on ESPN.com. Okay, behind what? Behind, Jimbo Fisher? Uh, uh, Miami turning into a uh, title contender. How the Miami conference, football? Yep, how the uh-huh. conference uh, championships are shaking up. And then Tiger Woods. Really? Yeah. Well, they love Tiger. ESPN and then loves. LeBron. Can't go wrong with either one of those guys. No, LeBron's going to move the needle. And then Tiger uh, moves the needle. No, no question about it. And uh, so uh, why don't you open up the leaderboard there, Paulie? All right, live updates. Eldrick minus two through eight, and then as uh, Max said, Max Max talks golf. He said he piped one on a par five. Must be a par five ninth. Apparently he. uh, he uh, rolled in a 15-footer for birdie at 2 and a 25-footer at 8. Okay. There you go. Off to a solid start. Fairways and greens. What else you got? Who else How is do you even get in the that gig, though? How do you get the gig to follow Tiger to the Bahamas pretty good. and write about a meaningless golf I would golf think tournament? the golf beat would be pretty fun. With <laughs> The hardest part about traveling on these golf tours is that you need to – the tournaments end Sunday night at sundown. And then you kind of need to be to the next place by Tuesday morning. And uh, that doesn't leave for a lot of um, leeway or margin for error. Tommy Fleetwood couldn't skip it. So Tommy Fleetwood's in the field. Do, do you think if Tommy Fleetwood was in the Starbucks here in Armory Square, anybody would know? <laughs> no. I love his music, though. Fleetwood Mac was his bit. Yeah. No. Tiger Woods coming off his longest uh, Don't stop believing. Uh, absence, 301 days. There you go. That's common. Give me a leaderboard. Give me anybody else who's in the tournament, and then we'll get on with our show. I don't but know I, that I there is a leaderboard. Leaderboard, there <laughs> it's it is. It's not that fake. I mean, they're actually, okay, Tommy Fleet was leading. Kevin Chappell, Justin Rose, Dustin I know that Johnson. No, that guy. Dustin Ricky Johnson, you know. Ricky Fowler, Jordan you know. Spieth, Spieth, know that guy. Yeah. It's a who's who of who's who's. Matt Kuchar. 
All right, I could of the top. Well, let's see. There's 20 on that leaderboard. I'll bet if 15, 15 of them, if they walked in the building, I could identify them. I would know Henrik Stenson. Yep. Brooks Kepka. I don't think Charlie Hoffman's gonna catch my eye though. Oh, sure he will. The hair, the blonde hair. Don't know you'd, him. You'd notice him, yeah. But uh, if Tommy Fleetwood was walking right down Walton Street out here, nobody would know, unless he was even then fully decked out in his sponsor gear. Nobody would know Tommy Fleetwood, Daniel Berger, Alex Noren, Kevin Kisner. You think Patrick Reed's going to be recognizable? Well, I, I like golf and follow golf. I know who Patrick Reed is, but oh, we've had Justin a change. Rose, yeah, Justin Rose. Rose. <laughs> now we got two uh, Euros to top the list, and then Johnson, Fowler, Spieth, and Francisco Molinari. This was not how I was expecting no, the I show didn't, to start. Didn't think uh, sometimes you just got to wing it, and uh, that's called carryover, Paulie. I mean, we're we're following one show to the next. If they were talking about it, we're. Making that smooth transition. If it was important to Max in our update, it's important to us. Three and, mil, uh, five hundred thousand dollar purse on this uh, turn. Yeah, for what twenty guys to yeah. split? <laughs> That's not a bad deal. That's how you talk them into it. No cuts. Last place is going to clear about one hundred and fifty k. Man, not a bad. That's deal. a gig. Well, okay. Now, now we're on this tangent. We're down this rabbit hole. Of course, it is to be at that level. But you know that they're the point zero 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 one percent that ever set out to do it. Like, you know how good Dustin Johnson is at golf, and mm-hmm. how much better he is than ev- you know. Basically, not he's not better than everybody on the planet, but that crust of guy, that absolute top tier, is uh, is so much. I always say that you know in the amateur golf circuit or the the guys who go out and knock it around on the weekend, and they might look at that. Oh, look at who's uh, in twentieth place in this tournament. Well, the guy who finishes last in a PGA tournament Will destroy you. <laughs> would shoot 64, you know, anywhere around here with his eyes closed. And uh, you, you kind of need to, <laughs> to know that uh, going in, and it's a completely different level. But um, good stuff. F- you feel warmer when you're talking about golf in the Bahamas on uh, the last day of November. Tomorrow it's into December. And then the first two December basketball games are delicious as the Orange play Kansas and Miami on Saturday the 2nd and then Connecticut in New York on Tuesday the 5th. And we'll spend a good deal of the show talking about that coming up. We'll visit with Brian Haney, the play-by-play announcer for Kansas football and basketball. They still do play football there. They haven't won anything, but they do play it. And uh, if you think uh, the Orange are having a hard time turning the corner, uh, look at Kansas where they have just not been – uh, competitive in their conference and haven't won a road game in a thousand years. Uh, so we'll talk with Brian about uh, about basketball. Nobody really wants to mix it up or throw rocks or poke anybody in the ribs about uh, football. And Kansas hoops is absolutely loaded. So we'll get into that uh, coming up here in just a bit. The coaching carousel is just astounding to watch. Yesterday on the show, yesterday we had – not Jeff Brom, who was now. Yeah, we had Jeff Brom going to Tennessee. Uh, so now he gets a raise. He's at Purdue. Mike Gundy gets a raise. He stays at Oklahoma State. Matt Campbell gets a raise. He stayed at Iowa State. And today, Dave Doran's going to Tennessee. No, he gets a raise. He's staying at NC State. And within the division, Jimbo Fisher looks like he's leaning out the door to Texas A&M. We'll touch base a little bit more on that uh, later in the show. For something in the neighborhood of seven or seven and a half 
million dollars. That is a lot of cake. And that goes a long way in College Station, Texas or Tallahassee or wherever it might be. And I would say at this point, you got to figure he is out the door uh, to that one. Tennessee for a moment, Dave Dorn, you know, reaching out to Dave Dorn at NC State. You can see that as being a fit. Dorn did a good job there. Dave Doran is as vanilla as they come. He's solid. He's about discipline. Uh, not going to be a Lane Kiffin. He's not going to uh, say anything crazy or upset people. Uh, he's just not a guy who's rushes to the media limelight, etc. And uh, now NC State shows that commitment. So now, yes, Jimbo Fisher might be out the door at Florida State because they're not making the type of commitment that he'd like to see or the type of commitment they ought to be making relative to Clemson. But you look in this division that Syracuse is in, the Atlantic division, Florida State makes a huge commitment relative to America. Clemson, obviously, more than that. Louisville, obviously. NC State steps up to pay their coach $3 million. So you're already, if you're Syracuse, you're already – you're you're looking at fifth in your division in terms of financial commitment to your coach, to your staff, to your facilities. Wow. And uh, so those four are playing a different game. And uh, Doran stays at $3 million a year in a raise. And the other thing that's happening now is raises for the assistance pool. That's important. You need to have good staffs and need to have depth there. That's one of the things that's happened at Mississippi State who hired Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead, formerly the head coach at Fordham. What does Fordham have in common with Mississippi State? Nothing but the uniform colors, right? I I can't imagine how different those two places would be, but Moorhead did a great job as the offensive coordinator at Penn State. He's a guy that, you know, in the wide circle in the recent Syracuse coaching openings, the wide circle drawn, Joe Moorhead was in that circle. And uh, now he goes there and reading today about that, that one of the things that, sealed the deal for him to go there is he said, look, this is going to be about, you know, whatever money he makes there is going to be more than he's ever made anywhere before. So if he's making two and a half or three as a head coach, that's obviously, uh, that's going to get it done for you in Starkville, Mississippi. He's saying, hey, let's make sure our assistants are well paid. They wanted to keep Todd Grantham as the defensive coordinator. It turns out Grantham goes to Florida, another place with big sacks of money. So Florida is in really good shape as they get Dan Mullen and Mullen gets to bring with him uh, Todd Grantham. So uh, Florida so far in all of this coaching stuff is the big winner. Tennessee is the big loser. Who do they turn to next? Right? Les Miles is out there. Who else you got there, Paul? Kevin Sumlin could be uh Tennessee is going to end up with a Pop Warner coach at this point. Well, what's funny about Dave Doran, you know, as I saw somebody point out today, Dave Doran's record is really the same as Butch Jones's record, you know, in terms of uh, what they've done and the places they've been. <clears throat> I, I had heard, you know, Kevin Sumlin, you know, thought to be a good fit at um, Arizona State, and I could see that uh, working for him there. Arizona State wants to turn to Herm Edwards, which is, you know, kind of a star hunting type thing, and, and people have the infatuation with that, and there's a connection between the athletic director at Arizona State and uh, Herm Edwards on a personal uh, business arrangement level. Now, someone, you could see that, yep. You know, 
only in the SEC, generally speaking, do guys go from one conference uh, to the next, or one team within the conference to another. Only really happens in the the SEC. But uh, you could see that, and that would be an upgrade, I would think, for Tennessee. But uh, I could Tennessee has an ego, obviously, as a lot of places do about their program. That was the whole thing with Greg Schiano. They just couldn't bring themselves to believe that they were hiring the Rutgers coach. And in this case, now what? You want somebody that was already deemed not good enough for another team in your conference that you probably think you're as good or better than to begin with? Texas A&M, I should also point out before we get back into Texas A&M, the other place that nailed it is UCLA. Quietly goes, gets Chip Kelly, boom, job done, and uh, the Pac-12 has a lot of good coaches. But uh, at Texas A&M, they have scary money, scary resources, not afraid to put it toward football and show off. They're the ones with the $10,000 a piece locker. They're the ones with the shiny everything and the huge renovation of the stadium, et cetera. Florida State has an erector set stadium that's, you know, looks pretty nice and everything, but it's just sort of been a high school stadium from a while back, added on in pieces, and they have not kept up the financial commitment that you would expect. They've made a lot relative to uh, other places in the conference, but are, is Florida State at the ex- extreme A-list level like an Alabama is, like Texas A&M has the means to be? And now you're bringing up Willie Taggart, Polly, who just got an extension at Oregon because they're trying to fight off people for him. And my understanding is that Florida State would turn to him next. Willie Taggart of the Harbaugh family, played at Western Kentucky, went to USF, quick success, was fired until he beat Syracuse, and the rest is history. Hadn't lost, he didn't lose a game the rest of the way at South Florida, plays his way into uh, the Oregon job. And he's Oregon's got some people that'll throw some money they around do. too. So. Yep. And this whole deal with uh, some of these places quibbling about buyouts. You know, Tennessee has, I'm sure there's somebody they can call to make buyouts not an issue, right? right? With Jeff Brom or whatever. Uh, but if Tennessee hires a coach that just got fired, that's not going to be a concern. So we can get back into that later. I uh, definitely want to touch on the idea of Jimbo Fisher being, uh, are we going to call it accosted or at least challenged at his radio show about uh, loyalty or lack thereof to Florida State? We'll touch base on that later in the show. But we're a little overdue. We'll take a time out. When we come back, we'll visit with Brian Haney, play-by-play announcer for Kansas basketball, get a feel for what is in store when the Orange visit Miami to take on the Jayhawks on Saturday. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Saturday, the Orange are in Miami to face the Kansas Jayhawks. Coverage starts at 4 on TK99 and ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth here until 3 o'clock today. No show tomorrow as we travel to Miami. Hope to pick you up from New York next week. The Orange and Connecticut on Tuesday night at uh, Madison Square Garden. We will do a best of tomorrow. Best of what? Best of this turd. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna have to create some better material. Least worst of. That puts some pressure on our next guest, Brian Haney. Brian, we need uh, 30, 40 good minutes of content for tomorrow's show. So... (laughs) You better be good here because you would be a re-rack worthy given that it you know is game-specific. Love it. Let's do it. Okay. Need all your best stuff here, all right? Brian Haney Sounds joins good. us. Play-by-play announcer for Kansas uh, football and basketball. And we'll skip right over the football, Brian. I know that's uh, a tough go. 
and uh, get right to the hoops, which has been the exact opposite. And just watching that game the other night, steamrolling a pretty decent Toledo team, uh, that must have felt like a you know just the avalanche rolling down the hill there, one shot after another, high percentage look, seventy five percent in the first half, and the the fans were loving it. It was incredible. And at home this season, they've been unstoppable. Average margin of victory at home, 39 points. They've had two games shooting north of 60% for the full game already at home. Tuesday night, they finished at 59%. And, you know, the walk-ons get in late and then ruin the percentages, I guess. But uh, Devontae Graham was out of this world. 14 of 19, 35 points, a career high. And he had started the season, the preseason Big 12 Player of the Year, off to a slow start offensively. He was a guy that was second in the nation and assists entering Tuesday, but was only shooting about 35%. So I think it was good for him to see the ball go in the hole a little bit. And as you said, it was an avalanche from there. So Kansas, no matter who the opponent has been, and prior to Toledo, it had been four straight games against teams picked to win their respective leagues. They've been victorious in each of them and blown them all out with the exception of Kentucky. And I reference Kentucky because they had the type of length that you guys have at Syracuse, and that gave Kansas fits in trying to get some higher percentage looks from 10 feet and in. That's why they struggled as much as they did, but they were able to grind it out 65-61 in the Champions Classic up in Chicago, and this will be their obvious uh, next best test this side of Kentucky coming up on Saturday. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that because – you know, at the start of the season, you're trying to build your team. You're trying to overcome your losses from the previous year and trying to figure out who you're going to be. And Kansas is one of those because they're in the Champions, uh, Champions Classic that uh, will take on challenges. Uh, and so Syracuse, obviously, the one of the Orange's strength is that length and the defense and the and the zone. Kentucky, what, what was the stat you said this morning? Something like six players with uh, – wingspans of seven foot or, or better yep. I mean that that's pretty incredible because obviously that's what they can throw at you and how did Kansas view their performance in that game obviously they figure that one would be tighter than anything else they've had it was a struggle and what's funny Matt is coming off of that the fan base, and I'm sure you guys can identify with this up at Syracuse, where everything is under the microscope and people overreact to every little game. Folks were genuinely concerned about KU offensively. And keep in mind, they're replacing the National Player of the Year, Frank Mason. They're replacing the number four pick in the draft, Josh Jackson. And uh, that was just, at that point, our second game of the season. But the Jayhawks come out, and uh, they wind up shooting, I think it was 35%. Devontae couldn't throw it in the ocean that night. He was 3 of 14. And the game that KU lost a year ago in the Elite Eight to Oregon was Devontae's worst game of his career. He was just one of seven, and they lost in essentially a home court game in Kansas City in the Elite Eight. And so I think you know some of the chicken littles thought the sky was falling, and man, how are we going to score the ball this year? And since then, they've gone out and scored 98, 114, 102, and 98. And Devontae could have gone for 45 the other night. They pulled him with eight minutes to go. And so obviously the competition has not been on par with Kentucky, but at the same time, as I said, all these teams, except for Toledo, were picked to win their respective conferences. The difference was Kentucky's length being what you just alluded to of six players with the wingspan of seven feet or more. It made it tough for, for 
for Kansas to get to spots you know, inside the paint and around it where they could get relatively open looks. And everything was contested, if not by the primary defender, then somebody on the help side coming over with that long reach, that Akeem Warwick-type reach that we still have nightmares about from 2003. <laughs> yeah, that gave Kansas fits, and they couldn't finish around the cup as often as they typically would. But how they won that game was they crashed the offensive glass. Some of the biggest shots and the daggers they threw in versus Kentucky came on second and third chances. And those are staples of a good Bill Self coach team. Rebounding, toughness, field goal percentage defense. They had to hunker down and earn that one on the defensive end and on the boards. And the fact that they've proven they can do that already, I think, is a good sign because we've obviously also seen games where they just blow teams out of the gym. And Coach Kowalczyk from Toledo had the quote of the season so far. He said, it seemed like they were on ice skates and we're out there in sneakers. And he said, that's the best team I've seen in 50 years. Now, maybe a little hyperbole, but uh, certainly we appreciated the compliment and hopefully they'll keep that rolling as the season gets deeper. Brian Haney, the voice of uh, Kansas basketball, is with us. And Brian, the the idea of what you just sort of said, oh, here's what the local fan reaction was, is interesting. And that happens here too. You're exactly right. But from afar, you know, from this distance from Lawrence, you know, it's just mind-boggling the accomplishments of Bill Self and that anybody would question him or have a hard time with him, as I know some Kansas fans do. Uh, to me, it just blows me away. The, the guy's won 83% of his games and uh, 13 conference championships in a row. Uh, all of those ridiculous numbers that I'm sure you can recite, uh, 10 home losses ever. <laughs> you know, uh, So more conference championships than he has home losses. Uh, only one year that they didn't win the conference in his time as the head coach at, uh, at Kansas, which is just stupefying. But obviously more Final Fours or, or what they're looking for. What in your estimation, you know, and obviously you followed the program closely bef- before you worked there, I- is there one thing that's kind of been – the issue where they've come up short in, in a couple of these times and, and do you see whatever that is on this team? You know, it's a great question, Matt, and I think it's hard to pinpoint one common denominator because every tournament run is different. And, you know, it, it, sometimes you, you just have that cold shooting night. Sometimes you run into a team that, uh, you know, is better equipped to defend you personnel-wise and, and stylistically than, than what you've been up against prior to that. But there's no doubt when you go to the last – 11 NCAA tournaments as a one seed seven times. Think about that. Seven one seeds in the last 11 years and, and forecast to do it again this year. If they do it this year, just for the sake of, of even fractions and math, that, that'd be eight one seeds in the last 12 years. Or if we're comparing it to college football, where you know the top four teams are in the college football playoff, right. that'd be like being in the playoff two out of every three years. And, and I was just talking to Coach literally 10 minutes ago about this, and, and we were debating whether or not Alabama was going to get in on the football side. And uh, obviously it's much tougher in basketball because you have to win six, not two, and, and upsets can occur before you get to the Final Four. But I was, I was pumping up Coach saying, you know, you guys are essentially like Alabama in terms of regular season resume putting you in the top four on Selection Sunday. And he said, yeah, but he's won it. Talking about Saban. Right. And, and Coach obviously won it in 2008, him? and they were right there in 2012. But you're right. I think if there's one thing that, that sticks in his crawl a little bit, it's that he's had some really dominant teams that didn't make it as far as, as their destiny we felt was going to be. And, and last year, great example, maybe the best individual player he's had here in Frank Mason, and I shouldn't say maybe, definitely. Uh, Josh Jackson, perhaps his best one and done in terms of 
that season. I think Joel Embiid will be his best one and done in terms of his projectability, but his best one and done in terms of contributions. I put Jackson ahead of Wiggins and Embiid, and yet they still didn't win it. So I, to answer your question, yes, that, that does bother Coach that they haven't had more Final Fours and championships. But when you've won 13 straight Big 12 Conference titles, something that's now equaled UCLA for the greatest stretch of conference championship dominance in the history of college basketball. And keep in mind, John Wooden did it for nine of those 13 years. There were two other coaches that followed him to round out the 13 straight out there at Westwood. And so for Kansas to have it all under Bill Self, and in an era, you know, folks want to say, ah, but the Big 12, it's theirs every year. It's there for the taking. Think about some of the guys that have come through the Big 12 during this 13-year run. Kevin Durant, Michael Beasley, Blake Griffin, Buddy Heald. I mean, there have been some big-time talents and some good teams that, that seemingly year in and year out, Kansas always finds a way to finish higher than. And there have been a couple of ties in there as well, conference championships that were shared. But 13 straight is remarkable, and they're obviously a heavy favorite to win 14 in a row in the Big 12. And if they do that, it's unprecedented. So to me, in this era where college basketball parity is better than ever, that's the, the crowning achievement for Coach Self right now. That's the biggest feather in his cap. But you know what? We could sing his praises till the cows come home. He's the NABC president, just went in the Hall of Fame in September, and he's an even better human being than he is a basketball coach. And that sounds cliche, but I mean it sincerely. So we're really, really fortunate to have him here at KU. And an unusual lineup, really, this year with Kansas. When you look at it, nine scholarship players, and they really could, I think, probably in a game against major conference competition, get by with six or seven. So even in the game against Toledo the other night, they did not go uh, very deep. It was a blowout at halftime, and uh, a couple of the players are just playing four, five, six minutes. And that's with three transfers waiting in the wings, another one that's available in December, and this Billy Preston deal, who's as highly recruited as anybody that there was in the country and has accomplished in high school, and he hasn't played yet. So th- this is unusual, right? To, what What are the fears in terms of depth for Kansas going forward, Brian? It's definitely their thinnest team since 2012 when they had primarily a, a six-man rotation that went to the title game and lost to Anthony Davis. But, uh, you know, with the Billy Preston situation, they're hopeful they're going to get some kind of update in the next week. And, you know, the, the situation there for Syracuse fans that haven't read up on it, he was involved in a, a car accident, one car accident deal, and, and they wanted to look into the uh, financial background of the car deeper. And, and you know, I can't speak to any specifics there, but I know the team is optimistic and, and uh, the kid's a great kid. He didn't do anything wrong. He's not ineligible or anything like that. But you know how it goes with compliance. I mean, they're, they're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. And it's taken a couple of weeks. And it's been frustrating for Billy because, as you said, he's a top 10 guy and ready to thrive. But if they get him back, that's a huge boost. He's 6'10 with, you know, he can play the, the three or four. He's got that type of versatility for you on the wing or inside. Then they've got a kid named Silvio D'Souza, who you don't have to worry about for your spotting boards on Saturday, (laughs) but he could be eligible at semester. He's at IMG Academy right now, and he's trying to graduate early if he gets the qualifying test scores. If he does, that's another top 20 recruit that Bill Self said he felt like was a top five overall prospect when they first got the commitment. And then uh, you've also got Sam Cunliffe about to be eligible at semester who transferred from Arizona State. So there's help on the way. 
But for the purposes of Matt Park's Golden Throat <laughs> call on Saturday, you really only need to know seven names. And, uh, and they'll play those seven guys a lot, and that's part of why they scored so many points. You know, when you, when you want to put in the walk-ons late and have like a, a five on the floor for the last three minutes when you're up 40, it's mostly just reserves and red teamers, as we like to say. Well, you got two walk-ons you could put in, but the rest are starters still on the floor in most cases. So it really is a thin situation, more so than we ever could have imagined. But Mitch Lightfoot's made the most of this Billy Preston absence. He's really emerging as a nice complimentary piece off the bench. And Marcus Garrett, a freshman out of Dallas Skyline High, the Texas Gatorade Player of the Year, uh, he has come in, and according to Coach Self, he's the best fundamental perimeter defender they have. And for a true freshman, 18 years old, to have that accolade on a team that has a lot of 21, 22, and 23-year-old guys, that's saying something. So they've got quality in their depth, just not quantity in their depth. I know, Brian, you just came from uh, Bill Self's weekly press conference, and I'm sure he's feeling really good about his team. What do you say about Syracuse? Oh, he's super impressed, and there's just a ton of respect for Coach Beheim. obviously. Two Hall of Fame head coaches going toe-to-toe, but uh, he talked a lot about the length and, and a lot about ways to attack the zone and how you know Syracuse is so crafty you know, that they can make adjustments based on what they've seen of, of your attack of a zone, and they can make adjustments within a game in terms of how they flatten certain things out and attack different areas within it. So he said it'll be the toughest test in terms of a zone defense, obviously, they'll face all year, and the type of athleticism and length with some of the guys, not just on the back line, the the bigs that you and I talked about this morning, but when your guards at the top of the zone like Battle and Howard are 6'5", 6'6", I mean, my goodness, how imposing can that be? So it's it's something, according to the coach, that no matter how they try to simulate it, no matter how hard they work trying to get the team ready, you're truly not going to have that type of readiness and preparedness until you get on the floor. And then even if you do feel like you handle it those first four minutes, Bayheim's making a adjustments and tightening the screws and so he definitely prepares uh, his team for, for what should be another grinded out type game not played anywhere nearly close to where they've been scoring the ball at home but maybe a game they have to win in the 70s and uh, and hopefully they'll be able to keep shooting it so well from the outside because obviously you've got four perimeter scorers on this team that on any given night could go for 20 on any given night could hit four or five threes and they hope that continues against a, a really talented Syracuse team that's going to make it tough to get off good looks yep uh, really Really looking forward to it, Brian. Uh, and it, the fact that it's in Miami is obviously great. Hope to one day get to uh, Allen Fieldhouse. But both of these programs, you know, scheduling is something that's always talked about here. Syracuse will play the games to, not very often on uh, the opponent's home floor. Kansas, more or less the same way, uh, play and because you're invited to. By the way, in a lot of these uh, classic uh, style games, had a great meeting in Kansas City. Uh, a couple of years ago with these uh, programs as well. So uh, looking forward to this and hoping someday we could do a home and home. That'd be kind of fun. If it never comes to fruition, at least if you ever get an open couple of days in your schedule, fly in, I'll treat you to a game. Folks don't know this, but Matt helps us with all of our football prep on the spotting boards. I'm so excited to meet you on Saturday and a big fan of your work and your calls. We'd love to treat you to a game inside Allen Fieldhouse. See the original rules of basketball. Yeah, a that's million pretty cool. dollar document from Dr. James Naismith. He's the father of basketball. And Fog Allen considered the father of basketball coaching since he produced the likes of Adolph Rupp and Dean Smith and so a lot of history here that we're very proud of, just like you guys have a lot of history, and we'd love to treat you to a game if we can at least schedule you. That would be great, Brian. Appreciate it. We'll see you uh, on Saturday. We'll catch up there, and uh, should be a good game. Looking forward to it. Bring your 
swim trunks and your sunglasses. We're going to hit up South Beach on Friday. <laughs> no, night. Nobody wants to see any of that, but uh, <laughs> I'm happy to uh, take it out and enjoy the sunshine. That's Brian Haney from the uh, Kansas radio broadcast and uh, does a great job there. A lot of fun they have winning uh, 30 some games every year and uh, right on pace to do it again this year. And the thing I didn't ask him about is back to back, they have Syracuse and Washington. So uh, Mike Hopkins' team will be next to face them. Uh, that's in Kansas City. And uh, you remember that trip, Paulie. That was a, a lot of fun. Really one of the underrated, you know, people talk about Syracuse's pre conference schedule. And yeah, they don't play the games typically on the other team's home floor, but they don't back down from a lot of these games against quality competition. And going to Kansas City and beating Kansas and Florida on back to back games uh, in the 08 season, I want to say, might have been the 09 season, but uh, November of 08, that was. Uh, a really noteworthy time and, and a blast. I believe the these are the only three recent games that I can think of as the 96, right? That game ended with Kansas's final shot in the air, Syracuse right. wins. 2003, 60-57 ended with a final shot in the air, Syracuse wins. Syracuse wins. 60-57. to 80, Yeah, you, you wrote yeah, it down oh, there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah the previous one yeah, was, yeah, 81-78. Yeah, to 70, yeah, yeah, and then... Uh, Overtime, Johnny Flynn hit a shot right. with six seconds left, sent that game to overtime. So hopefully we get another Kansas-Syracuse thriller. Yeah, it'd be great. And, and, you know, I think the gap between the teams is a little more than it's been in any of those uh, previous meetings here. This Kansas team is really, really good. Uh, the Syracuse team, though, I think is better. Than, people were bracing for, you know, dreadful start and, and whatever, and they're better than that. And um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, I think this, the uh, length of the Orange defense is their best strength, and the way they go into this, you know, Kansas's most prolific shooter is the Ukrainian kid Svi Mukhailuk. He's six eight. You know, how does he? And that's not going to be the first decent six eight shooter that the Syracuse zone has seen. But uh, is that something that helps Kansas overcome this a little bit? And uh, can't wait to see the Syracuse guards are bigger. Then the Kansas guards, Kansas point guard uh, Devontae Graham is just an incredible passer with uh, great court vision and the ability uh, to deliver. So this one has all the makings. It's in Miami where the Orange uh, a couple years ago, it's more than a couple now, time flies, but uh, was able to advance to the Sweet 16 by going through Miami, beating uh, Stephen F. Austin and Arizona State with uh, James Harden back in the day. And uh, so good memories from the facility and uh, looking to see if they can get this two-game road trip off to a good start and remain unbeaten. It's a battle of unbeaten teams, uh, both at 6-0 and going into the matchup Saturday. It'll be a 5.30 start, which is a little funky. We're on the air on uh, TK99 at 4 o'clock. More to come as we continue in the booth. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the dboffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM Syracuse. And 100.1 FM Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care no more. The NFL will donate nearly $90 million over the next several years to issues important to African-American communities. ESPN reports an agreement was reached late last night between the league and a group of players to contribute $89 million to causes like criminal justice reform, law enforcement, and community relations and education. The money will be spread out over the next seven years. Duh. I mean, this to me is uh, easy for me to say, but... What took so long? It's a no-brainer. NFL makes money hand over fist. 
use it to give back and support the people that support you and deal with the con- – I mean, obviously this is an outcome of the Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, and I'm sure the owners, a bunch of rich white guys saying, hey, let's find a way to get some peace here and get everybody uh, back to work and, and, uh, and find a way to get this done. This is a, a no-brainer. Somebody smarter than me had to figure out how, how do they arrive at eighty. Oh, okay, eighty-eight million, not good enough. <laughs> Ninety million more than we're willing to do. Eighty-nine million is right what we're gonna do. You know, so um, something they should be doing all along anyway. And I know uh, a lot of fans are critical or cynical of these leagues for the things they do in terms of you know the cancer uniforms and, and that type of thing. And I can understand the the cynicism around some of that because they are money making opportunities. But the leagues uh, have a lot of money and they should give it away for things like this. Well, Matt, you touched on this uh, earlier in the hour. An FSU fan has uh, been thrown out of Coach Jimbo Fisher's radio show audience after asking the coach about loyalty. The fan was quickly escorted out, Fisher reportedly being offered a contract by Texas A&M. He's not issued any comment, but FSU wants Fisher to make a decision ASAP. Yeah, to me, this is an an interesting topic we could probably spend more time on another time. I'm more blown away by the reaction that people have like it wasn't okay for this guy to ask it. Now, if you really care that much and you show up and they had a packed house at their radio show and the coaches are paid a lot of money, I have no problem with somebody asking this kind of question as long as they're respectful and decent about it and we're not getting physical or confrontational or or, uh, hurting anybody. Go ahead and ask the question. The fact that he was run out of there, um, and I'm not sure if that was just another patron who was there or somebody affiliated with the show or with the – a rights holder or the athletic department, if that's the case, which it could be, I would be disappointed because I think let's not be so afraid of, oh, this is negative or you're ask him the question, let him answer it. You know, he's a big boy and there's lots of ways you can answer those questions and blow them off too, without really committing if that's your choice. Um, but I think if you're going to have those types of shows, you should be willing to have an open discussion with your fan base. Sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable but uh, that would be my preference. And the idea that you're running out somebody that asks a question like that means that you're really only in it for the the pats on the backs and the, hey, we love you, coach. And if you're doing that, then that's not worthwhile programming, in my opinion. Having been associated with the Syracuse call-in shows for a couple of years, Coach Babers handled the call like that this year. And I remember a really uncomfortable call during Coach Pascaloni years where he was asked if he – thought he should still be the head coach at Syracuse, yeah. and he took the call and he answered yeah. it, and nobody You know, and, and nobody it happens with different coaches, yeah. I mean, I, I, and I don't know whether we've done it right or not. I hope people think that they, they've found enjoyable programming and, and chances to interact with the coaches, but we don't screen calls. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if you, you call the show and you want to talk to the coach, you, you can get on. we got the Jim Beheim show uh, tonight uh, over at Shaughnessy's in, in the Marriott, and we, we ask the questions. They answer the questions. You know, you, you might – move on from something here or there that's uh, uncomfortable. But uh, I, I think too much of that stuff uh, being heavy-handed uh, is unfortunate for the fans. All right. Uh, Do We Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. All right, Joe, thank you. Back with more to wrap the show when we come back. We'll return in the booth on ESPN Radio in just a moment. The Orange Women return to the Carrier Dome later today against Northwestern. Tip time, 7 o'clock. Orange pregame, 645. On the pulse of the Orange, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. 
Good to have you back with us in the booth. Our final word for a little while. No show tomorrow as we travel to Miami, and then we'll be uh, in New York and uh, on assignment, as they say, on uh, Monday and Tuesday. Back Wednesday with the show recapping the Connecticut game. Connecticut had to go to overtime last night against Columbia. Beat Columbia in overtime, 77-73. That moved Connecticut to 5-2 uh, and two on the season. They've got Monmouth on Saturday, which is no layup. And then uh, Syracuse will take them on in the garden on uh, Tuesday night. Looking forward to that. Also looking very much forward to this trip to Miami. We'll know a whole lot more about this Syracuse basketball team, I think, the next time we talk. And I think we'll be feeling pretty good about it. The uh, matchup with Kansas will show the bar. The matchup with Connecticut gives them an opportunity to improve on last season. Subscribe to uh, ESPN Syracuse in iTunes and Google Play to receive daily podcasts of Orange Nation in the booth. The Daniel Baldwin Show and On the Block sent right to your phone. For Polly and Joe and our guest, Brian Haney, Matt Park saying so long, a best of edition of the show tomorrow at 2. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.